dissecting the drama of sports. Call 0800 82 55 77. Jason Pine on Radio Sport Mornings. With Spark Sports. Watch every Rugby World Cup 2019 match live and on demand. Williams on the charge. Back to Toeyaba. Toeyaba turns it around. Beautiful play. And Richard Kahui picks up the second for the All Blacks. Carter slings it wide. Now Dag in a bit of space. Off he goes. And he got the pass off beautifully. Kahui again. Kahui lining up. Kahui's still going. And he's got two. Yeah, Richard Kahu with a couple of tries in the opening match of Rugby World Cup 2011. It is a great pleasure to welcome Richard Kahui to the show. 2011 World Cup winning All Black. He's also spent the last six or seven years playing rugby in Japan. How are you, Richard? Uh, great, Jason. Thank you very much for having me on the show this morning. It's uh, I'm, I'm doing really well, and Japan is uh, building up very nicely to this, uh, this two semi-finals this weekend. Yeah, looking forward to that. Before we look forward, can we look back? What are your most vivid memories of Rugby World Cup 2011 back here in New Zealand? Um, I think uh, I think back to the opening, sort of just before the opening match, the actual build-up. I think being staying in the um, hotel in Auckland just what was going on down the viaduct and the amount of people and the, how the whole country got behind, I think, was the first thing. And then, obviously, the last thing was um, as we kicked the ball into – I think it was Andy kicked the ball into touch and we, we won the bloody thing. So um, those are two memories that I'll, I'll, um, I'll remember forever, and that, especially that kicking the ball out. Once we finally got the job done, I think it took a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure off a lot of people around the country. I've heard a lot of um, former players who have won the World Cup talk about winning it, and – they often talk about the relief rather than the joy of winning it. Is that what you felt? Yeah, I've, I've said that a number of times in different interviews where I, I, mean, I felt happy, obviously, after we won, um, that immediate moment after we won. But um, it wasn't until maybe a month later that I actually felt joy, actual joy. I, I, the actual feeling I felt once we won was relief. I just felt like, not that I, I knew it at the time, but we were obviously probably carrying a lot of, um, a lot of stress and a lot of um, emotions around the World Cup. So to finally win it, we enjoyed our time, or I enjoyed my time afterwards, and I thought I was having a great time, but it wasn't until later that I actually felt like, well, we've done something really amazing here, and I felt that actual real sense of pride and, and um, joy from it. Of course, we knew you mainly as a, as a midfield back in your time in Super Rugby and in the All Blacks as well, but of course you played that entire tournament on the right wing. How did that come about? Oh, it came about a few years earlier, actually, with um, Leon McDonald. He was meant to play. I wasn't meant to be playing at all um, in a test against South Africa in 2008. And he had a um, sort of recurring head, head injury issue. <clears throat> Sorry. And he um, he had to pull out. And Wayne Smith rang me. I was in Rebel Sport just swinging cricket bats. No, I wasn't going to buy one. I was just swinging around. And <laughs> so Wayne Smith rang me and said, well, how would you feel about playing on the right wing? Um, and I, I played a few games for the Highlanders on the wing. And I thought, well... Of course, I've given the opportunity. I said, yeah, of course, I'll play there. I, I, I was crapping myself. Um, and so I got my first test against Brian Habana on the right wing in um, in South Africa. And it was, you know, went really well. And just sort of from there, it, I, it ended up being something that was great for me because it gave me the opportunity not just to play centre, but to play wing. And so it made me more valuable to the team. So I could, you know, I could cover Conrad if he got injured and, um, so, yeah, so it actually happened sort of four years earlier. And then during the World Cup, I think I just had an opportunity to start that first game against Tonga. And then um, they obviously thought I did all right. And it sort of just went from there and was able to stay on the field for the tournament. 
We've been talking this week about the uh, 2011 semi-final against Australia. Uh, do you have fond memories of the way that you and Israel Dag and Corey Jane diffused the Wallabies' high kicks that night? It's uh, it's become a pretty iconic moment or, or moments during that game. Yeah, we it's something we prided ourselves on as a back three. Um, you know, taking high balls. We used to. Um, I felt like the competition we had between us at training was far more intense than in games. So. Um, I think that prepared us really well. But, you know, the best moment about being in the back three versus um, Australia that, that night was just watching the all-back forwards and Conrad and Ma just absolutely pulverising any ball carrier that came their way. Um, so our job was really easy and we had the best view for what I thought was probably um, in the four years I was in that, that team, I think performance of the 2011 World Cup um, team there. Yeah. yeah, no, it was... Magic. And well, you put in that tackle on Quade Cooper. That was pretty. Uh, you know, you, you did you did put in a couple of tackles yourself. To be fair, oh, he was he was defenceless. Anybody can <laughs> tackle a man when he's when he's just when he's defensive. Like that. Don't give me too much credit. All right, and just just onto the final again. What were the last five or ten minutes of that game like? Because you were out there for the whole eighty, weren't you? Yep. Yeah, I was. Um, you know, it was. It wasn't until the last sort of 15 minutes I, I went into the game. Obviously, I didn't. We didn't underestimate them, but I felt like I had enough trust and faith in, our, in the All Black team of 2011 that we would get through whatever the circumstance. And then it wasn't until the last sort of 20 or 15, 20 minutes of that game where I thought, "Well, hang on here. These boys are we're, we're throwing a lot at them, and they haven't faltered at all." So, um, you know, the, it was tense, but I knew I, I could hear the voices starting to pipe up like the Kevin Mialamu's Andy Ellis came on and he never shuts up. But just the things the things that were being said from each other, like, you know, we've got this, let's just get up, get off the ground, let's do this, let's stay disciplined. And um, so it was like, it was a little bit nerve wracking, but I think what we saw was a lot of guys stand up and show the leadership. And then what I saw in that last, you know, the last part of that game was a lot, of, just a team that had worked for so long that trusted exactly what we were doing and were able to get the result. I do need to ask you about Stephen Donald because, of course, you know we we know the folk <laughs> the folklore that surrounds him, and I know that yeah. a, a lot of people think that he was the only one on the field that night. Actually, I'm sure, but uh, you know, that's that... oh, disgusting. <laughs> do you do you um, have you seen have you seen Beaver since he's been up in Japan? He's working in the media now, of course. Yes, yeah, so look, Beaver's a, a, most people know is a very very good friend of mine, and we have um, caught up a lot since he's been up here at this at this uh, World Cup. Um, you know, like. Oh, for, for me, as as a as you know, one of his best friends, I, I was just wrapped for him. I think he took a lot of uh, criticism throughout his career for different things. I mean, like Hong Kong is the most obvious, um, and that I know it, it weighed pretty heavy on him throughout. He never showed it, but it, it, it did. And then, you know, to be pulled off the white bait stand and to be given a, a four-year-old size jersey and to go out there and Kick, kick a goal, which, which kick a goal, which I know at the time he probably didn't think it was as significant as it was because there was still I think 35 minutes left to go in the game. Um, but you know, it's I, I was just wrapped for him, and it's sort of a testament to him as well that he he's hung in the fire, he never gave up, and um, you know the rest is history. And now he's this bloody global superstar, and he's you know he's comment he's commentating on the All Blacks nowadays, and and I'm just I'm happy for him. A little bit jealous, but happy. Brilliant stuff. Well, as it turned out, the World Cup final in 2011 was your last All Blacks test. Uh, when did you make yes. the decision to go to Japan? Uh, the 2012-13 season, uh, both seasons I had, again, but I mean, throughout my career I had a number of shoulder reconstructions, five in total. Um, 
But after 2011, I felt really great. And my, my, my sole desire as a rugby player was to be an all-black as long as I, I possibly could have. Um, I, I, loved, I loved that team, and I, it's just what I wanted to be and what I still want to be. Um, but, you know, 2012, the season was going well. I got injured. I missed the, uh, the, the championship game for the Chiefs. And in 2011, uh, 13, sorry, I came back and did the same shoulder again. And it was during that, that 2013 season when I got injured again I just you know for me I thought you know, I've, I've, I've done all I can I've, I've tried my hardest I've rehabbed I've, I've tried to do everything right but obviously uh, my all black and, and super rugby sort of dream was meant to stop where it stopped um, so that, that was when we made the decision I, I remember coming home the night I came home um, I walked inside and talked to my, my now wife and I just said look I've, I'm, I'm, I'm done I'm done with the disappointment. I'm done with um, because it is like it's mentally and emotionally it's it's really tough when you when you're injured so often. So it was a big decision, but it was one made really easy in the end by the fact that I I just physically couldn't deal with the uh, the load of Super Rugby and international rugby. Was the original plan to go for as long as you've been there because you're still there? Yeah, no, it wasn't. And I, you know, I I came over here broken. I came over here with a broken shoulder, so I was I missed half the season here. I was surprised that they actually kept me, kept me, you know, honoured my contract because they could have cut it. Um, so, you know, I just thought every year I'm here is just a bonus. It's a bonus to keep playing rugby and doing something that I love. And then, you know, the one year rolled into two, which rolled into four, and now into season seven. Um, yeah, it's been a truly, like, truly a blessing for me to be up here, um, to, to keep doing what I love, playing rugby and making a career out of it. And, you know, to, Japan or this team Toshiba for me is, is you know, I, I hold it as highly as I hold, you know, your, your Waikato and your Chiefs teams just because it's become a, a family for me. I've been, I've been a, a, a playing for my J- Japanese side as long as I've been playing Super Rugby. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's a big part of my life now and I've, I'm, I'm really grateful that I've been up here for as long as I have. That's brilliant. So have you had shoulder problems in your time in Japan or were all your reconstructions prior to that? No, all prior to Japan. So once I've come here, I mean, um, touch wood, but other than a, a few, I've had a few concussions, which we all know is a really hot topic at the moment. But um, other than the, a few head knocks, I've been in great health, which hasn't helped because every year I've thought, man, maybe, maybe I should go home and try again. But um, yeah, so no, I've, I've been a, had, a, had a clean bill of health since I've been up here. Do you think you will come home and try again? Um, you know what, I... I, I, I that's <laughs> a tough one. I always think every year I think I would love to. Um, it's just our, our life has changed a little bit now that we're living in Australia for different reasons. And um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say no because I would love to play Super again. Um, but, you know, I'm getting a little long in the tooth and a little slow in the leg now. So um, that ship might have sailed as well. But who knows? You never never say never. But I'm sure maybe one day they might be looking for an old man to um, to take up the 31st spot in a, in a um, squad somewhere. Mate, well, if you mate Beaver can do it and Mike Delaney can do it, he must be nearly 50. I mean, <laughs> surely there'll be a place for a 34-year-old. Yeah, yeah. I'm, look, I'm still young. I'm still young compared to those two, but don't compare me to the two oldest guys that have ever played rugby <laughs> because it's <laughs> not a good place to start. Over your time there, Richard, what I mean, has the improvement in Japanese rugby been obvious to you to the point where now we've got a national side that's made the quarterfinals of a Rugby World Cup? It's, it's been clear and obvious. So when I came seven years ago, there's been a number of factors. So firstly, I think um, the coaches. So when I turned up, 
there's predominantly Japanese coaches and the man with absolutely no disrespect to Japanese coaches, but how it typically worked over here, it's they're all amateur teams. Well, they were all amateur teams. So you, you would work for the, um, they'd come out of university, work in the company job during the day and then train at night. And then, you know, that's how they would, that's how the players would play. And then once they retired, that has sort of go go and coach university for two years, and then that same one of those players would come back and coach the the club uh, the the company side. So it was like a uh, really insular, and that you know the players became coaches, and the coaches taught the same things they were taught, and it really was just the same message over and over for the last fifty years. So what's happened? They started bringing in coaches like Robbie Deans, Rob Rob Penny, um, all these started coming in, you know, Wayne Smith and, and Dave Dillon. Um, and with that sport, you know, that sort of outside knowledge, um, Eddie Jones, another one. Um, so the coaching has changed. And I think what else has changed is they've sort of opened the door a bit um, for good or bad um, to the amount of foreigners that you can have on the field now. So it was two, seven years ago. And then I think two year, two or three years ago, they changed it to five. So now you're getting a lot of sort of that mid, mid-level um, either super rugby level or just a little bit lower foreigner coming over here, which helps has helped develop some of the younger Japanese boys. And um, so there's a lot of the, it's a clear and obvious difference between where it is now to where it was. Um, the big challenge now will be, you know, with the amount of foreigners up here, how they develop uh, their, their Japanese players. Because in, in positions like the number 10 or your, your fullbacks, if you look across the top league teams, almost every every first five except for Yutamura and a couple others are, are foreign players. Mm. Do you feel any sort of personal responsibility as a as a you know a, a, an experienced player now, a World Cup winner, a former All Black, to to help to mentor young Japanese players while you're there? Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I've I've been given an opportunity to come here and not just play rugby. I think playing rugby is only part of the um, the deal when you come here. Like we've we've all got different experiences, and I'm my experience. Um, may be valuable to one of the younger boys and may be valuable to somebody else or a coach or whoever. And um, I'm happy to share my experiences. And if I feel like I can help somebody, um, absolutely. And I think that's a, a beautiful part of rugby as well was, you know, we don't all know everything. I'm, I'm happy to learn. I've learned a lot of stuff while I've been here too, both good and bad again. Um, but, you know, the helping other people learn and learning yourself, I think if, you, if you're not trying to get better or help others to get better, then, uh, that, that'll probably be the time. It's it's time to give it away. What have you made of the All Blacks' performances <laughs> at this Rugby World Cup so far, Richard? Yeah, I think they've been building really nicely. I think I, I talked a lot earlier. Um, I did a couple of sh- uh, build-up shows for the All Blacks. You know, well, they didn't play um, the sort of rugby everyone expected against Namibia or Canada, but um, I think what they they were working on a lot of combinations. And I thought that that last selection against Ireland, where you see uh, yeah, Anton and the Browns and Good Hughes. Um, and your, your back row, just the combinations that they started putting together. And I think, you know, I think that um, the typhoon rolling through, as devastating as it was for Japan, the people of Japan, you know, it gave the All Blacks a, a week off. And um, they came out last week, they were fresh. They knew exactly what they were in, up, up against and what they wanted to do. And I thought that that was a really, really, really clinical performance against an Irish side, which I don't think, I think rated more highly than they probably deserved to be uh, coming into the World Cup. I thought they were um, pretty pretty flat coming into the World Cup. But, um, you know, this weekend will be a real test. But I, I, have, I have no doubts that they've 
um, they're they're ready, and I've got no doubts that they can win it. Um, but you know, England's a great side, great great quality side as well. Mm. Gee, you sound like you're enjoying Japan, mate. The family enjoy it as well. You've got a young family? Yeah, we, I've got a young family. I've got three. I'm actually looking at a wall of photos as we speak. Um, so I've got three kids here, actually. So um, just for, for different reasons, my, my uh, kids are at school in Australia. So um, I'm sort of traveling back and forth. And my wife's coming over with the kids uh, over Christmas, most likely, for a couple of weeks. So um, it's a little bit different this year. We're going to have to do a little bit of commuting. But uh, we've loved Japan, and this place has been really Really, really great to, to my wife and my family. Um, my kids, my, my eldest daughter, Scarlett, she's six now. She, she did the Japanese kindy and prep and things over here, So, um, which is a, a, was an awesome experience for her. Obviously, going to not understanding anything at all um, to coming out the other end. Um, she's probably too young to remember most of it, but she started talking Japanese before she left to go home. So, uh, But the people here have just been um, so welcoming, so accommodating, and um, anybody that's travelled to this World Cup will tell you that they're just a great race of people and it's just a great place to come and visit. Yeah, no, it's obvious from watching back here as well. I reckon you should come back and, and have another season with the Chiefs. That's what I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have to be some sort of Armageddon, I think, for, uh, for them to, to, to pick up an old man like me. But you just never know. You never close the door on anything, do you? Mate, it's been so great to chat to you, Richard. Thank you so much for taking the time. You've given us some great insight into, into rugby up in Japan and, and some great memories as well. So all the best, mate, and, and thanks for taking the time. No problem. Thank you very much, and go the All Blacks, eh?